It's time to talk UK sports with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is the Leach Report Radio Network. Join in the discussion by tweeting your questions to at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. And you can call 877-904-1080. Now, along with an outstanding lineup of guests and broadcast to the most passionate fan base in America, the Big Blue Nation, here's the voice of the Wildcats. Tom Leach. Hello, everybody. Welcome in. It is our Monday edition of the Leach Report. Hopefully uh, all the uh, the dads um, or anybody who is in the role of uh, dad had a great Father's Day. And we're glad to get another week started here on the Leach Report. Uh, coming up on the show today, it's two guys from The Athletic, Kyle Tucker, Joins us always, always in the second half of the show on Mondays. And one of his colleagues, who is the college football editor of TheAthletic.com, Stuart Mandel, will join us in the first part of the show. And uh, that is our guest lineup. Let's roll right into the Wildcat News of the Day, a service of Cardinal Point Financial Group, private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services. A new twist in the Olivier Saar story came uh, really, I think this was on Friday at the start of the weekend, the NBA has announced a new date for players to put their name in for the draft and then withdraw it. So they have until August 17th now to put their name in for the draft. And October 6th is the withdrawal date. It doesn't affect any of the, the guys who played on last season's UK team. Even got, uh, somebody like E.J. Montgomery, um, who a lot of people thought would, could, should come back, etc. He has signed with an agent. I think everybody has signed with an agent, so... The die has been cast on those uh, players. Uh, Saar uh, was contemplating entering the draft, as you know, um, but elected to stay at Wake Forest because his coach there, Danny Manning, convinced him to do that. And then that was the the day before you had to put your name into the draft, Danny Manning gets fired. And so Olivier Saar uh, ends up, uh, still at Wake Forest, now with a new coach, obviously transfers to Kentucky, you know the whole story. So he's applying for a waiver, and now um, one of the elements of the case, it would seem, uh, has a new twist here in that uh, he could still put his name into the draft, uh, so he has plenty of time to do that. Now, um, there could be other circumstances. We know that UK, according to uh, what Cal, I think, told uh, Dickie V, that Kentucky has submitted the paperwork for SARS waiver and to the NCAA, so it's in their hands now. We There could be other factors that are included in that beyond um, you know, the, the tight decision on Manning relative to the NBA draft. Or, and I think this may be my humble opinion, the best hope, for UK is that the NCAA is a, is really just going to be extremely lenient on these uh, transfers. Um, first of all, with the uh, unusual circumstances of 2020, and they may well have moved to a non-stated policy of if guys have a uh, coaching change, they're going to be allowed to move. That would be the best hope. That's what should happen anyway. And I think uh, whether you, uh, whatever side of the transfer debate and immediate eligibility you fall on, I think everybody agrees that if your coach leaves, you ought to be able to change schools if you want to do that. And the NCAA has never been of that mind, but 
maybe they are going to be moving in that direction and just haven't formally made it a policy yet. So who knows? It's We're speculating here, but it is a new twist is the bottom line to the SAR case. And uh, on, on paper, it doesn't appear to be good for Kentucky, but I don't think it's necessarily a, a slam dunk that uh, he is not going to win his appeal. So we'll, uh, if you're a Wildcat fan, you keep your fingers crossed. Xavier Peters is uh, leaving the Kentucky football program, transferring to Garden City Junior College. He uh, was eligible, uh, got eligible late uh, in the process this past season, but never could find his way onto the field for much playing time. Never could uh, fully gain the trust of his coaches. And so now he's headed off to junior college. And then we'll come back to the Division One ranks. So theoretically could come back to Kentucky, I guess. Uh, and Kansas State has suspended voluntary workouts after 14 uh, positive COVID-19 tests. Also, Jagger Burton's going to push back his decision day, wants to do his five official visits. He had hoped to get that done and make his announcement by August 24th, which I think is his birthday, but that's been increasingly less likely to happen that he can get those visits completed, so he just says he's going to push the date back. Links to the stories that we talk about each day, you can find those on the Bud Light Leach Report page at TomLeachKY.com. We'll head to break. A little later, we'll uh, get a little recap of the Belmont Stakes that started the road, the trip crown road on Saturday. But when we come back, Stuart Mandel from The Athletic talking college football on the Leach Report. Find out more about the voice of the Cats and get great coverage of the Big Blue at TomLeachKY.com. Welcome back into our Monday edition of the Leach Report. We go to the KentuckyHempworks.com hotline. Our own Stuart Mandel from The Athletic. He is the college football editor there, working uh, with our friend Kyle Tucker, among others. Uh, I want to talk first, Stuart, about uh, a story you had uh, last week in The Athletic about Power Five conferences and the, the TV deals that are on the horizon because last week you, University of Kentucky came out with their budget and obviously it's uh, their cuts. All schools are, are dealing with some tough economic times in the short term because of the COVID-19 situation. But uh, your story suggests the cavalry is coming in terms of TV dollars. Yeah, everybody's obviously understandably focused on the the pandemic and the recession that we're in. And certainly if we have a football season that gets uh, even somewhat canceled, or obviously if we can't have fans in the stands, you know, a lot of these schools uh, stand to lose a lot of money. And you're seeing already is making budget cuts. Um, I think that there's a little bit of short-sighted thinking there because it just so happens that four of the five uh, power conferences have TV deals coming up in the next four to five years. And, you know, despite some of the dire things going on right now, all indications are there's still going to be huge demand for those deals. They're long-term deals. Uh, in fact, the SEC has already agreed to theirs with ESPN uh, to replace the SEC. It's going to go from... $55 million a year to $300 million a year. So if the schools could just try to keep some long-term perspective, I mean, this is going to be painful, but it's going to be very short-term. And, in fact, uh, most of these conferences are going to see their annual revenue just skyrocket once the new deals kick in. Yeah, still, I guess it's the, the idea is that live sports is something that people will still make as appointment television as opposed to you know watching streaming at their convenience. Live sports, I mean, it's always been obviously, you know, uh, something that TV networks have, have coveted, but uh, now that are, I mean, certainly the legacy networks, the broadcast networks, even ESPN, um, they, 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 um, their whole model is based on it, because obviously cord cutting has 
you know, bit into their business quite a bit. Um, but you can't watch, as at least as of now, right? You can't watch the SEC game of the week on Netflix. You can't watch uh, Ohio State, Michigan on Amazon Prime. So um, as long as these networks have the biggest games of the year in all of the sports, now they're still going to be. Um, that's still going to be a very viable business model. And so because of that, I mean, you could argue that um, this next round of deals could be worth even more than the last time these conferences went up, uh, went up for bid. We're a little over two months away from when college football is slated to kick off the new season. Uh, would you say you're optimistic that games will be played that weekend? It changes by the week. Um, yeah, for the last three months, I've been, I've been all over the map on it. I do think, um, you know, all signs point to the season starting on time. I, the, the great mystery, and none of us know the answer to this, is uh, what happens once they start playing and, and, and guys start testing positive. And, you know, the biggest thing that I don't think anybody has a handle on is, I mean, right now we're seeing, you know, schools or, or teams are coming back to do voluntary workouts. They're the only ones on campus in most cases, and you're seeing positive tests. And it, not entirely surprising, but, I mean, some of the numbers have been a little bit alarming, like 13 at Texas. Uh, and that's with nobody else on campus. What happens when 40,000 students come back? And obviously you can't put football players in a bubble like they're going to do in the NBA. Um, so, I mean, we're all kind of holding our breath and, and, and hoping for the best. But, I mean, at the end of the day, if, you, you know, if you're, um, uh, you know, four of your offensive linemen test positive the week of the game, not only are they not going to be able to play, but then people who came into contact with them have to quarantine. And it would not surprise me if this is an extremely weird season where games have to get canceled and our teams are playing with their backups in many positions. It's just not going it's, it's, we can't predict exactly right now, but I, I seriously doubt it's going to be a normal college football season. Along with the COVID-19, one of the other storylines that has emerged here as we lead up to the season is the Black Lives Matter movement, and in particular players uh, using their platforms, social media, etc., to to speak with a, a greater voice than we've ever seen before. Is this something that is kind of a, a defining moment in college sports and that we're, we're changing, landscapes changing, and not to go back? It's interesting. I mean, it's fascinating because for years and years, in terms of, you know, the, the, where it always came up in terms of people speculating whether players would stand up and, and boycott something or, or take a strong stand, they always thought it would be about paper play. You know, did players demanding to be paid? I never got the sense that that was something that, that would lead to that kind of action. But what has happened, as you've seen, is there's a larger movement in this country. Um, Black Lives Matter has, uh, people have been marching and protesting for weeks now. And it, that is what ended up being, I think, the trigger for, play, for college athletes who didn't have a voice, who felt like they couldn't uh, speak up or couldn't, you know, stand up to the, to the very powerful coaches in their programs. I mean, who would have guessed even a month ago that Chuba Hubbard, uh, you know, Heisman candidate for this coming season, would go on Twitter and, and, and um, uh, you know, basically, you know, obviously criticize his coach, Mike Gundy, and threaten to boycott. So these players feel very empowered. Uh, they've probably never had more leverage. They've spent the last three months hearing how essential it is that we have a football season because they need the money to fund the rest of the athletic department, and they're feeling their voices. And I think it's been pretty remarkable to see uh, how quickly some of some things have have changed. Most notably at Iowa, um, you know, a program that had the same head coach and the same strength coach for 21 years, um, a bunch of former players uh, sounded off about 
feeling like they were uh, subjects of racial mistreatment there. And within 48 hours, basically, their strength coach of 21 years, you knew he was gone. So um, it's a it's a very interesting time, and coaches, are, I think, are going to have to, if they aren't already, are going to have to take a different approach. It's always been a very a sport that where the culture is very much that the coaches dictate all the rules and the players have no say. And I think that that dynamic is changing, and you know, you're know you going to have to listen to your players or you're going to end up in a situation like uh, Gundy has faced this week. Yeah, the old uh, my way or the highway days are long gone. Yeah, and you think about the history of college football and some of the most celebrated coaches, the Bear Bryant, uh, Woody Hayes. Uh, that's exactly what, what that mindset was, and, and it was totally normal at the time. Um, times change, and uh, athletes have a voice, and um, they. Uh, not, this is not to say that the players can sell the rules and their programs, obviously, but you know, I think there have been some things that have come up that you're just like, I can't believe this was still happening in 2020. I can't believe that Iowa uh, wasn't allowing their players to be on Twitter or, or uh, wasn't allowing them to wear hoodies in the building. Like, that's very patronizing, and that's not going to – you just can't do that. And, and certainly, you know, um, now that the players feel comfortable speaking up, I think they're going to continue to do so um, in instances where they feel mistreated. Thomas Stewart, Mandel, college football editor for The Athletic. Uh, we'll be uh, parochial here for a moment. Tell me – uh, what your impressions are of what Mark Stoops is doing with the Kentucky program. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think that obviously he got a lot of accolades two years ago when they rose up and won 10 games. And I noticed a split last year where maybe if you're not paying that close of attention to them or to you know the SEC, uh, they, they took a step back in terms of the wins-losses, and, and maybe some of that attention went away. People who follow college football closely know that he may have done an even better job coaching last year than he did the year before. Uh, when you're basically your entire offense is one uh, receiver playing quarterback. So, um, and then of course the recruiting. It's hard not to notice what they've been doing. Certainly their ability to go into Ohio and get a lot of guys that uh, in the past you would have assumed would go play in the Big Ten. So um, this will be a very interesting year for them. I think uh, uh, certainly Georgia and Florida are considered the class of that division, but they have a chance. I think to to, to uh, have a, a you know play factor uh, in that division and, um, and and start to prove that this can last that this wasn't a one year or two year thing but that he's actually building a program there that can have staying power. Stuart, when back to the the business side of this, um, we we saw a wave of realignment several years ago. That's been really quiet for a while. Do you see that coming back at any point? Uh, any retrenchment on on? things maybe because of uh, what we're seeing now with, you know, costs and, and the COVID situation and, you know, West Virginia going out to Lubbock, Texas and things like that? Well, I think that, you know, and I wrote about this pretty extensively last year, but if there is going to be another wave of realignment, it's definitely going to be tied to those TV deals I was just talking about where the tax laws comes up in 2024, the Big 12 comes up the year after that. Um, you know, I think there's What's starting to happen is that the Big Ten and the SEC are, are moving more and more into their own tier. So it's almost like the power two and the other three. And so if you're one of the other three and you're thinking about how can we close that gap, a natural thing to think about would be what Larry Scott tried to do the first time when he first got the job and, and some sort of consolidation with the Big 12. I haven't heard anything to, the, to indicate that that's happening or going to happen. Um, but, if, but if you're thinking about what, how do we – how do we cash in on this next round of TV deals? 
Um, you know, certainly any scenario where you could take Oregon and USC and put them in a in some sort of conference or, or alliance with Oklahoma and Texas, suddenly, you know, that becomes a much more desirable TV property. So, uh, I, right now, everybody seems like okay, we're happy with where we are. It's very stable. Um, but, but as um, Jim Delaney uh, said to me last year for a story, that everything's quiet until one. All it takes is one school or one conference, and the whole thing, you know goes back into chaos. So I would keep a close eye. Nothing's going to happen in the next couple of years, but I keep a close eye once those TV deals come closer if, if we start hearing some plans like that. We always remind you when uh, Kyle's on with us on Mondays that uh, The Athletic is a great value. You can uh, go to theathletic.com to subscribe as we approach, hopefully, the start of the college football season. Stuart Mandel, thank you for your time. Thanks so much for having me. And Stuart Mandel, it's the Leach Report Radio Network, and we'll be right back. Can't get to a radio? You can listen to us live on the web at talkradio1080.com. Now, back to the show. We're back on this Monday edition of the Leach Report, and time to check in on the Triple Crown, presented by Claiborne Farm, doing the usual unusually well for more than 100 years. And the road to the Triple Crown got started on Saturday. Sands fans in New York... With the Belmont Stakes, tis the law, the heavy favorite, won it convincingly, um, and now will make his next start in the Travers on the first weekend in, or on August the 8th as the uh, prelude to the Kentucky Derby on September 5th. The thing for me is his buyer speed figure was 100 in that race, so he beat uh, a horse. The horse that I like, Tap It to Win, turned out to be Distance Challenged, and the horses ran second and third at three lifetime starts each. And uh, Tis the Law has now run three graded stakes this year, and he trained great for this one and was set up. It was a big deal for his connections uh, to win this race with a New York bred horse. They're New Yorkers. And still, he did nothing better than equal the best buyer figure he'd produced before. So I just think there are other horses that are going to improve and uh, and pass him up by the time we get to Labor Day weekend. I like to like, honor AP. Uh, who won the Santa Anita Derby is the uh, the horse at the top of my list at the moment. Uh, Bob Baffert had a filly, Gamine, that was incredibly impressive. I think she's a big favorite for the Kentucky Oaks. She won the Acorn Stakes, albeit at a mile, by uh, almost 19 lengths. Coming up next, Kyle Tucker will join us. It's the Leach Report Radio Network. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Tweet us at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Second half of our Monday show, and we go back to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline to bring on Kyle Tucker from TheAthletic.com. Kyle, how was your Father's Day? It was good. Low-key. Kids didn't... uh... Didn't scream very much, so that's a victory in my book. <laughs> <laughs> any any day with that circumstance is a good day, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you tweeted out uh, some some nice pictures of uh, your dad, uh, who was much younger. You'd noted when uh, you were born into the family. Yep, eighteen years old when I was born, and uh, so we're almost contemporaries. <laughs> I guess. Uh, I would say we're gonna uh, we're gonna end up in the same nursing home together, but uh, <laughs> yeah, my dad, 
my dad was uh, was a pretty incredible uh, part of my life. Still is, and uh, he, uh, he and my mom were teenagers when I was born, and and did it the hard way, and uh, made it through. So, very proud of them. Uh, good, uh, good for you. Good for them. Um, uh, I guess before we get into some some UK related things, the the biggest story in sports today that. Uh, people are going to be talking about if you, if you tune into Sports Center or something or sports talk shows is going to be uh, it's really disgusting. A noose was found in the garage area of driver Bubba Wallace down in uh, Talladega yesterday. NASCAR has issued a statement uh, using words uh, like angry and outraged, and they want to identify the person or persons responsible and eliminate them from the sport. So hopefully that will happen quickly. Yeah, yeah. I think the one really disappointing thing, well. The act is very disappointing, but the the second most disappointing thing about that to me was watching uh, the replies to NASCAR's statement and how many people just assumed that it was a fake or that, that Bubba did it himself so he could get attention. And there were, as I predicted, actually, almost as soon as it happened, uh, there were a bunch of people crying out, Jesse Smollett, the, the um, hate crime that turned out to be a, a hoax, um, which, of course, makes it worse for everybody in the future and made that especially bad. But uh, uh, let's just acknowledge that there's some problems still, and uh, hopefully they do find who it was and root that out and expose it because there are apparently still some people who can't believe that uh, racism exists in America. Uh, Matt, let's go to college football next. And the um, the, the athletic, the uh, media writer, who we're going to try to get on the, the show uh, here at some point this summer, uh, Richard Deitch, he uh, surveyed a lot of different f- uh, media folks about for predictions on, and it could be on a variety of things uh, in in the sports world related to our circumstances with the the coronavirus. And uh, one of Richard's predictions is that college football is going to be delayed at some point over the next six months. The companies that air games will scramble to replace programming, and uh, I'll we'll try to get him on and get into uh, to that column a little bit. There's some interesting uh, predictions, but. The question for you is: We'll segue into what do you make of all of the uh, stories about the the COVID test results? I see where Kansas State has suspended their voluntary workouts. I think Houston was the only other one that had done that previously. Um, what do you make of uh, those stories that are popping up with the numbers at LSU, Clemson, etc.? Yeah, I'm getting. Uh, I'm unfortunately getting a little skeptical again after being a little more hopeful. Um, I don't know if I'm skeptical that the season will start. I, I'm a little skeptical that it'll finish. Um, I just, it, it feels like, one, everybody keeps saying second wave, and, and it seems like we may still be in the first wave. And if there is a, a big second wave of the virus, you know, in the middle of the fall, uh, in sort of the standard flu season, um, I don't know. I, 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 everybody has decided coronavirus is not a thing anymore. Not everybody, but very many people have. Uh, a lot fewer masks out these days and uh, a lot, lot less social distancing. I get, I get that we all have to get back to our lives, but I think um, uh, just the numbers that have come out, I mean, there have been some places uh, where Clemson had like 28 athletes um, test positive. The bright side is all of these uh, young men and women are healthy and young, and that demographic typically does okay with this. In fact, a lot of them never even feel bad, really. Um, But, you know, there's contact with other people and their families and elsewhere. I mean, and and by the way, football programs are not all exclusively um, 
young people. <laughs> you know, they have coaches and they have uh, staff members and they come in contact with a lot of other people uh, that you'd be putting at risk. Um, and so some of these numbers, these testing numbers, are a little jarring. I think also it's a little alarming that a lot of places, as far as I know, also including Kentucky right now, not releasing their data, not telling us uh, what the, what the uh, positive test numbers are, um, is a little troublesome to me as well. So I, I don't know. I, I guess what, I, what I'd say I'd make of it is I'm, I'm a little more pessimistic again. Uh, maybe not that they get it started. I think there's just so much money at stake that they're going to try to get the season off the ground. Uh, but can we finish? Can we get all the way through a season and and uh, play a fairly legitimate season where enough teams play um, and finish, and then have a legitimate championship? I, that I am increasingly skeptical of. The story in the Herald Leader today by uh, Josh Moore, who's the UK football beat writer, um, uh, with talking about what UK is doing as, as football players have come back. They are not testing asymptomatic uh, athletes, according to the story. What they're doing is uh, giving uh, the antibody tests, which determine who's had it, they're, um, and anybody who's symptomatic gets tested, according to the story. Uh, and obviously they're doing temperature checks and, and the like with uh, others. Uh, Guy Ramsey, who's a, a spokesman, emailed the Herald Leader. According to the story, our current protocol was developed specifically for this step of the process. In the voluntary workouts, uh, they say there can be false <clears throat> negatives on asymptomatic people that uh, somebody could uh, have it and, and still test negative. Uh, so that's uh, one of the reasons why they're doing it this way. And there, there's guidance that they're using from Johns Hopkins and some other very respective uh, CDC, et cetera, on, uh, on how they're handling this. And Guy notes that that can change, you know, their procedures can and likely will change as, as the process moves along. So there's a lot of people that are doing it differently. Um, but uh, as in this case, it seems to be uh, uh, based in science. What I, I think is going to be the, the real potential biggest tipping point could be if, if there's a lot of these tests, but as you say, they're young people and uh, nobody's hospitalized. When somebody gets hospitalized, that could be, that, that to me is really a, a game changer. Yeah, and that was the other kind if of somebody, I, say, I should say, if somebody gets hospitalized. Yeah, I mean, the percentages are that somebody will. I mean, even though, that, even though by and large, um, people in this demographic age demographic do well, uh, some of them have gotten sick. And if, I mean, we're talking about a large number of people across college football. Um, yeah. What happens when somebody goes in the hospital? What happens if someone dies? Um, I mean, can that, can that be tolerated? Uh, can we just press on and say, well, it's just one person. Uh, I don't know. I mean, what kind of lawsuits are going to be, uh, on colleges hands on, uh, the NCAA's hands, um, I mean, the liability from the college perspective, to me, feels like it's got to be enormous. And, you know, there's a big thing about uh, Ohio State making them sign a waiver, which, you know, lawyers then came out and said this is not in any way legally a waiver where they can say, oh, you agreed to this in the risk. Uh, it was the Ohio State then said it was just a pledge to, to follow, you know, safe and healthy protocols, uh, not a waiver. Um, and I really don't think you can do that. I don't think you can make people come back and say, you know, uh, I agree that I might die <laughs> doing this. Um, so I don't know. You know, when somebody goes in the hospital or worse, uh, I think that's a major game changer. And I just feel like it seems unlikely that somebody at some point won't uh, get gravely ill from this.
We're talking with Kyle Tucker uh, from TheAthletic.com on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. It's about 17 away from the top of the hour, so we'll get to a break. Come back and uh, continue in just a moment. It is the Leach Report Radio Network. See a tweet here from uh, Draft Express, Jonathan Giovanni, uh, as we're chatting with Kyle Tucker from TheAthletic.com here on the Leach Report. And he, Kyle, he says that uh, Cade Cunningham has reaffirmed his commitment to play for Oklahoma State this season. Uh, I am not surprised by that. Are you? No. I mean, I think once Oklahoma State hired his brother, he, that's where he was going, uh, despite many many uh, uh, attempts at, at, at sort of um, – smoke screens that he might consider going somewhere else. I think he was always going there, and I think the fact that they're not going to the NCAA tournament because of NCAA sanctions um, doesn't really change much for him. I mean, he can still be the number one pick. Uh, he can still be uh, a sensation in college basketball. If he's incredible, um, people will be watching, and, uh, you know, he's being loyal to his brother. Um, so that doesn't, doesn't necessarily shock me. Um, it's interesting, though, to go into a season as the best player in, in the country with knowing you have no chance to make the NCAA tournament. That's, uh, I mean, that's probably never happened before. Has, has, the, has the best high school player in America ever gone to a place he knew he couldn't make the NCAA tournament? Like, not not in theory, like, you're maybe not good enough, but factually you're not going to the NCAA tournament. That's probably never happened. You know, I see uh, your tweet explaining, or just a brief comment on what you were just saying there, uh, shows up on my timeline. Now, you could have typed that out during the commercial break. I prefer to think that you have some kind of telepathic connection, and you're just saying that, and it just goes out onto Twitter. <laughs> yeah, speak, I'm speaking it here on the radio. No, I hit send on that as you were, it's funny, I hit send on that tweet as you were uh, coming out of the break and, and starting to ask me that question, so. I had just we had both seen it, I guess, at the exact same time. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but I, I kind of just like thinking of it that way. Um, you, your latest story, let's talk about that at theathletic.com. As uh, you say in the open, the editors like to challenge you guys for creative topics in these times when there are games to write about. And uh, you're challenged to rank the top ten recruits and the bottom five of the recruiting services era, so basically the ranking of recruits, which goes back to 03, according to your story. And um, as I look at your list, Anthony Davis is one. That uh, John Wall, two. <laughs> yeah, right. Carl Anthony Towns, three. DeMarcus Cousins, four. I think about any Kentucky fan would have those four. Somebody might put DeMarcus ahead of Carl. I don't know, but uh, I, I don't think there's any – Anybody doesn't rank them Davis one wall two. Um, my guess is that when you got to past four, that maybe this started uh, a little more difficult in terms of the rankings. Is that correct? Yeah, because the, you know then it's you know figure out like what what do you wait? And so you know I put Brandon Knight five um, one because he was uh, a top five recruit, so he was big to get you know in the first place. Um, and then, you know, he ended up a top 10 pick. So he, you know, lived up to his hype. And then I, you know, I think just impact, you know, there, there's, there is no chance that that, uh, 2011 team gets to the final four or even gets out of the first weekend of the NCAA tournament, probably, uh, with right. Brandon Knight. I mean, about as clutch as you can get in a postseason when you, you uh, hit a buzzer beater against Princeton in the first round, you drop 30 on West Virginia in the second round, which was such an important game. 
just revenge game after what you know they'd broken John Wall's team's heart the, the year before. And then you hit another game winner against Ohio State, State in the Sweet 16. You have 22-7 and four uh, against North Carolina in the Elite Eight uh, to send them to the Final Four. I mean, he was just uh, incredibly clutch. If they could have escaped that UConn team. Uh, in the final four, I think they win it all because, I mean, we got, we got a few of those here. That if we're talking about Kentucky, the, if they just get past this team, they probably win the whole thing. Um, you know, but that was one of the years we saw Butler, um, in the uh, national championship game. I think Kentucky, Kentucky wins if they can get to that. And maybe Brandon Knight's thought of even, even more differently. But yeah, from, from four down, you're just kind of weighing what's important. Like I put Andrew Harrison on the list. Um, at you know, seven, in part because I wanted to, I wanted to get his brother in there too, and I wanted all that list to also have representation of the entire 2013 class because that, you know, is one of the greatest recruiting classes of all time. Six McDonald's All Americans plus two four-year players uh, from in the state, uh, in Dominique Hawkins and Derek Willis. Eight guys. Uh, I think it's uh, considered by most metrics the highest-rated recruiting class ever in history. Um, and so it was, it was interesting as we got down that list. Put Patrick Patterson on the list at the bottom because I thought he was such an impactful, you know, uh, player as a bridge between really three coaches. He's recruited by, um, uh, Tubby. He decided to go ahead and sign with Billy at a time when those kind of players weren't signing with Kentucky really much anymore. And then he stayed, uh, and played with Cal and was, uh, became, you know, part of that. Um, obviously really fun team. So I thought he deserved a spot on the list as well. Yeah, MKG six, Andrew seven, Malik eight, Rondo Rajon Rondo nine, Patrick Patterson uh, ten, and then the bottom five. Um, how Scal Lambissier is, is first on this list? Tell me about how you came to put that side of the list together. Yeah, also tough, just in terms of what's you know what, what's my criteria. They gave us plenty of freedom to kind of figure that out on our own. Uh, I mean, look, if we're talking the, the recruiting services era, which is since 2003, uh, at Kentucky, I could have just picked, you know, five god-awful Billy Gillespie recruits and put them on there. Uh, you know, I mean, there's obviously worse players who've been recruited to Kentucky than Scal this year, who's a first-round pick and is still playing in the NBA. I, I try to do some of it relative to expectation. And so, you know, Scal was at worst the number two and in some rankings, number one in the, in the entire class of 2015. Uh, a couple of places had him ranked ahead of Ben Simmons. Um, you know, and relative to that, he was, uh, I mean, I think the word bust, and I don't, you know, I don't want to insult Scal because I think he's a really, really, really good dude, uh, a very kind human being. And, and I always, you know, wanted the best for that guy. Um, but he, by any definition, did not sort of live up to the hype. Um, you know, EJ Montgomery falls in that category to a lesser extent. Um, yeah, I really probably could have put, put Khalil Whitney number one because he didn't even, you know, get through half a season and he was a, you know, top 10, top 12, uh, prospect. Um, so I kind of went that way. And then again, I, I mentioned I could have just put five Billy Gillespie recruits on there, but that didn't feel, uh, that, that almost felt like a cop out. But I did think you can't have a list of bottom five recruits in this period without a Billy Gillespie. Uh, player and to me that the, the guy who represented that was Alex Legion, who was really Billy's first big get on his own without you know having carryover from Tubby recruiting like Patrick Patterson. Um, 
you know, people were very hopeful. They flipped him. I can't even remember where he was committed to, but uh, they, they were able to flip him uh, in recruiting and get a top 40 player. Uh, he lasted six games at Kentucky. And, you know, there's all the drama that went with his family. His mom saying she was a prophet who'd seen a vision from God that, that Alex was going to lead Kentucky to the Final Four. Didn't Certainly didn't go that way, and he ended up transferring to Illinois and then transferring to Florida International, and then Isaiah Thomas uh, kicked him off the team. So he uh, he did he certainly did not uh, live up to that hype either. Uh, we're about out of time, so we'll close it there. Uh, but you can read the story at theathletic.com. And we always say if you're not a subscriber, uh, definitely uh, jump on board with some great uh, content, even over the summer here where uh, there are no games to talk about. And Kyle joins us every Monday here on the Leach Report. Thank you much. Thank you. Heading to a break. We'll wrap up this edition of the show. We come right back. It is the Leach Report Radio Network. It's our final segment of this Monday show, and we check in on some UK history notes at this time, and some days it's just birthdays, and we've got one today. A Wildcat football star, Micah Johnson, celebrates a birthday today. Celebrated recruit out of uh, Fort Campbell. He and his brother Christian on some uh, great teams for Coach Brooks there in 06 and 07. And when the birthday that occurred yesterday, Derek Willis, a belated happy birthday to the sharpshooter from Bullitt County. Uh, who is back playing uh, overseas and finishing up his season. It's going to do it for us uh, tomorrow. Uh, Drake Jackson will join us. Uh, and, uh, Larry Vaught's on vacation, so no Larry this week, but we'll have uh, Drake and uh, working on uh, the remainder of the show. So we'll see you tomorrow here on the Leach Report Radio Network. Have a good day, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Leach Report. Make sure you check out the podcast page at TomLeachKY.com whenever you miss a show. And be sure to follow The Leach Report Facebook page. If you have a question for Tom,